episode 19 of Beyond the Veil, a Harry Potter podcast all about mental health. I'm your host, Madison Ford. Recently, I had the wonderful pleasure of being a guest on the Accio-Politics podcast hosted by Adriana Wilson. It's one of our MuggleNet sister podcasts, and we discussed chapter 30 of Goblet of Fire through the politic of memory. The show will be going up on Wednesday, July 24th, I believe, so be sure to give it a listen and check out the rest of the episodes of Accio-Politics. In today's episode, we're speaking with Peter. Peter is a writer, a big lover of friends and family, and, you guessed it, a Harry Potter fan. This is a great interview, and I can't wait for y'all to hear it, so let's dive right in. Welcome back to Beyond the Veil, everybody. Today, we have Peter joining us. Peter, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. This is, yeah, I'm actually pretty humbled. So thank you. Of course. Um, let's start off by, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, obviously, my name is Peter, and uh, I'm from uh, Northwestern Montana, um, uh, near Glacier Park, um, and uh, uh, now I'm uh, in the South pursuing creativity. Um, basically, uh, I love to write, um, but um, my close friends just think I like to write um, comedy, essentially, and satirical pieces, but uh, I just like to write in general. Um, I really like sports. I'm going to try and get into a uh, uh, an indoor soccer league um i'm a big reader uh and also i'm gonna start doing open mics again um as there wasn't much of a uh, market in uh um in northwestern montana for for comedy open mics um as i was usually the only one <laughs> <laughs> all the other acts were acoustic um just you know a guy and usually a uh, a cup of whiskey and that was it so but yeah, I was the only one, so I'm definitely going to get into that uh, soon. But uh, yeah, that's um, that's actually what I'm doing right now. I went to school for political science, um, but it's actually really common for 90% of us not to go into political science. So yeah, that's that's a little bit about me. Wonderful. That's a, a well-rounded set of hobbies. You have a lot of artistic uh, sports. That's wonderful. So you being here means you're a pretty big Harry Potter fan, I'm guessing. Um, so if you have any Potter-related information you want to share, please please let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm definitely a uh, card-carrying uh, Hufflepuff. Um, you know, loyalty, friends, family, that means a lot to me. Um, my Ilvermorny House, I believe I'm pronouncing that quickly, uh, correctly. I've never actually heard it in the actual movies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's uh, currently Thunderbird, but it alt- alternates pe- between that and Puckwudgie. Um, but I think I just want to be a Puckwudgie just because it's a great name. Like, I just, <laughs> <laughs> I really, really like the name. Favorite book is uh, Half-Blood Prince. Um, favorite movie is Half-Blood Prince, uh, followed closely by... Deathly Hallows Part 1. Uh, all my favorite movies and stories have sad endings. I just think they're really interesting. I have a really deep fascination with people and things 
that fall from grace and that's really in my wheelhouse um like one of my favorite movies is the godfather and it just shows a descent uh my wand is a uh, is an elm wood with a unicorn hair and 14 and a half inches long um it says that it's perfect for muggleborns, which cracks me up because um, that's anybody who takes the test, basically. My dolphin is my Patronus. And originally it was a black cat, which is obviously standard fare for witches and wizards, but uh, I accidentally took the test again and I ended up with a dolphin, uh, which kind of relieved me in some way because when I got the black cat, I kind of had an existential crisis. These things are supposed to fight off Dementors, which is supposedly the most intense thing outside of Voldemort. And um, I'm thinking I got to fight off um, a, a, a Dementor with an animal that passively aggressive, passive aggressively hits you in the face with a tail. I'm thinking to myself, it's not really, um, doesn't really equate to me, but at least a dolphin can fight a shark. So that made me happy. <laughs> Um, a, my favorite character is Luna, um, just for a couple of different reasons. One, she's so kind, but also she's just weird. And I'm really a big fan of that. Um, I'm a little offbeat. I'm a little square peg round hole kind of person. And so I can definitely relate to her. Love that. I love Luna for that reason. Yeah, she's fantastic. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you first discovered the Harry Potter series? I, uh, discovered the Harry Potter, uh, series when uh, the movies and books were coming out when I was in high school um, and partly through college. Uh, but they didn't really resonate me, resonate with me at the time. Uh, I would go see the movies, but it was more of a social thing. Um, it, like I mentioned earlier, the place that I grew up in is a really small town. Uh, in fact, uh, it was such a social thing that I completely missed the Prisoner of Azkaban uh, in the theaters, and I had no clue that I even missed it. Uh, I was actually watching The Goblet of Fire uh, in the theater, and I saw a Dementor, and I thought to myself, huh, that seems like a big plot point. I wonder why they didn't explain it. Like, that seems pretty <laughs> good. <laughs> seems kind of like a big deal. Uh, yeah. But it wasn't until yeah, was late last spring and early summer that I really started reading them and, and got straight up hooked. I couldn't really put them down. Uh, I typically only read nonfiction, um, and I was consumed, and I would read a couple chapters um, and then read it, uh, and then listen to a couple podcasts, and then uh, read more uh, just to help out with the layering and texture of each chapter. Like I think that J.K. Rowling does this really good job of like show don't tell, um, and so uh, she didn't she wouldn't say that Ron was nervous. He, she would say that Ron was um, etching something into his desk, which is I think a great way to uh, a great way to put that. Um, just as an example of how consumed I was, it's it's actually really tough for me to read. Um, I have a I have a learning disability, so I, I have a special software that helps me read, um, and I use it about ninety percent of the time when I read. But I didn't have to use it at all when I was uh, when I was reading uh, the Harry Potter books because I was so involved. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, it it was extremely consuming to me. So yeah, I never had to use it so well i'm so glad that you came back to the potter series later in life i love hearing from people who have only recently really you know dived in to the whole fandom uh, i just i'd love that it keeps starting you know uh it's not over people are still discovering it so it always makes me happy hearing that 
Yeah, it's um, it seems to be. I mean, especially with the Fantastic Beasts, it seems to be a very a very living piece of art. I thought, um, and how Fantastic Beasts uh, really uh, harkens back to how uh, how things. Uh, it sets up how things are going to happen, you know, 50, 60 years in the future, which I, I really like. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what we're talking about today, we kind of start off with, um, you deal with bipolar mood disorder. Um, so to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about what bipolar mood disorder is and some of your experiences with it? Basically, the premise of bipolar is that it's major depression, but it also has uh, manic or hypomanic episodes, um, and I've been manic uh, and I've been hypomanic, but hypo, uh, hypomania is actually less severe, and it, it, uh, left unchecked, it can actually descend into full mania. Um, neither is fun. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I've been told by a lot of people that they would love to be manic for a while because it gives them more energy. Uh, typically, when people are manic or hypomanic, they, for four or five days straight, they only have to sleep like two or three hours at night. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, and also it's, it's a little bit deeper than that because, uh, yeah, I had more energy, but at the end of the episode, whether that's a week, two weeks, a month, whatever, uh, I basically crash and sleep, uh, and base and, uh, essentially devote an entire day to sleeping. It's not as simple as me having a whole bunch of energy because towards the end, I'm not available <laughs> for a couple oh, right. of um, For example, uh, I wrote a piece for MuggleNet last December. It was based off of the uh, most recent Fantastic Beast films, and I hammered out the entire thing in basically 36 hours. Yeah, from the time I started typing to the time I got it done, and that included reading the entire screenplay and watching the movie twice. Uh, and obviously it was just in theaters. I had kind of written the piece in my head for a few days, but as best I can figure, I was either hypomanic or possibly manic for a, roughly a week. When a, uh, a friend called me, they knew what I was doing. Uh, and I was coming out from being hypomanic and I could barely keep my eyes open. Uh, basically suffer like a day and a half. Uh, I also make a really reckless decisions when I'm manic. Um, like for one instance, I was uh, in Missoula where I used to live and I was driving 90 and a 45 at 11 at night because I wanted to get a shirt with a certain band on it. And I grew up in a small town. Basically nothing is open past seven, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it somehow made sense to me to drive that fast and be obsessed with something I basically kind of ordered online. I made a lot of dis- made a lot of uh, dangerous decisions behind the wheel of a car uh, mm-hmm. when I've been manic. Um, I've also made really bizarre purchases. Uh, I've only made a few large purchases, but it's more just bizarre. Like a couple of years ago when I was hypomanic, I bought, uh, I needed a new pair of headphones. And instead of getting one pair of headphones, I bought two and I had never even used the headphones at all. So I basically bought two of something that I didn't even know if I wanted to get two of. So yeah, just really, really bizarre purchases. And uh, my speech pattern uh, becomes really quick as well. I tend to uh, ramble when I get hypomanic and I'll talk really, really fast. Uh, It's somehow people have a hard time keeping up. 
And I also make bizarre uh, decisions. Uh, it'll start with something small, like me taking a book with me three hours early to work so I can just sit in the break room and just read. In all the businesses I've ever worked for, uh, there is nothing comfortable about the break room whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> at all. But, you know, in those type of situations, it made sense to me. People look at me and just say that I'm quirky and odd, and they think these decisions are uh, a little endearing. I mean, they're technically right. I mean, I wear coral pants, uh, but all these decisions mean that I'm getting sick or already have. And it's only mm -hmm. my close friends and family that notice for really what they are. Uh, there's a certain part of hypomania when I feel unreal, uh, basically. I have a sense of euphoria for about a day or two. Um, and I have this sense of confidence that I typically, it's, it's definitely an overconfidence uh, uh, that goes along with that. Like, like for example, I'll overestimate my abilities. I was likely manic the past month. Uh, I, dis, uh, I went from hypomania to mania um, and I wrote uh, three pieces. Uh, I loved all three. Um, I thought one was the best piece I had ever written. Uh, in fact, I, when I wrote it um, and put it in an email, I actually titled the email Lightning Struck My Brain, uh, which is just an obvious reference to me <laughs> being over completely confident. Um, I got it back from my editor and looked at it and it really wasn't even worth the paper it was written on. Um, uh, there's mm -hmm. also paranoia that goes along with it and that's one of the symptoms of manic, uh, uh, regular mania, um, because it goes into psychosis. Mania is, can be really similar to schizophrenia uh, in the sense that um, people have been uh, known to just have complete, not necessarily visions, but they'll see uh, an entire world that they're not in uh, whatsoever. Uh, I mm -hmm. never had that, but uh, yeah, that's, that it's something along the lines. It's a lower level mania, but it is. And uh, it's when when I'm having that irrational paranoia, um, something as simple as uh, basically getting a refill at a, uh, for a drink at a restaurant uh, is not necessary. Like I'll be paranoid that that I'll have to be uh, covert basically uh, to get it, uh, even mm -hmm. when it says that they have free refills. And the paranoia actually uh, lends to lends itself to lying and manipulating people. Uh, lying is a big deal to me, and uh, I'm painfully honest. Uh, I don't even make guarantees or promises. Um, and uh, uh, but it, it's largely uh, due to I've lied so much when I'm manic because of the paranoia. And I really don't know who to trust or not to trust when I'm experiencing paranoia because at the moment, it, it all makes sense to me. Yeah, uh, like this person's out to get me or this person's trying to manipulate me so I, can, I should do the opposite. Uh, and when, I, when I'm manic, I also get irritated with people. Um, uh, like I said earlier, I get a little upset that they're not keeping up with me. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I'll irrationally snap at them and uh, just not necessarily berate them, but uh, uh, they'll have to say, hey, that's <laughs> it's a little out of character, <laughs> Peter. Like maybe you shouldn't, maybe you should rethink 
that statement. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get a feeling of being unstoppable. When I was writing uh, that piece back in December, um, I, uh, I went to work out and I don't know if it was beforehand or after, but uh, I ran actually four miles uh, in under 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, I didn't feel it the next day or the day after, but I mean, I definitely didn't work out for a couple of days because uh, <laughs> I was obviously <laughs> a little bit sore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. I also have racing thoughts. Uh, I can't slow down, uh, even though I'll try with all my might to do so. Uh, it's so bad. It's literally moment to moment. Uh, I'll forget that not only did I put something down, I'll forget that I even had it in the first place and I'll go mm-hmm. looking for it again if I remember <laughs> that I had it in the first place. And the funny thing is, is that people will notice uh, that don't know that I'm manic or hypomania uh, or uh, experiencing hypomania. Uh, I get a lot of, uh, hey, Peter, you look great today. Did you get more sleep or did you change your hair? Um, Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, I'm a guy. My hair always looks the same. Like it just, it just looks the same. And the best way I can explain it is that, uh, I'm in a car and, uh, but I'm not in the driver's seat. Uh, mm-hmm. I can see someone making the decisions, but I'm not making them. Uh, I've also had something called a mixed state. And at the time I didn't even know what it was. I just knew what I felt and I knew I was manic, but also I had all the feelings of depression. It doesn't happen very often, but I do feel mania uh, mania with depression at the same time, which doesn't happen too often. Uh, And uh, afterwards, I was researching bipolar in a couple of medical journals, um, the Mayo Clinic, uh, Johns Hopkins, that type of thing. I found out on accident what they were called, uh, and I didn't even know that they had a name. Um, I just knew that I was really upset and crying and had all these feelings of depression but i also had these like i knew that my decision making at the time was terrible because i knew i was in a manic state when i accidentally found out what they were uh because uh, i came across where it says mixed state um that's obviously how i know what it is it said to call 911 immediately uh and i had no idea uh, at the time, uh, because the likelihood of hurting myself or someone else goes up significantly. Uh, sometimes I know that I'm manic, but most of the times I don't. And honestly, I don't know which one is worse. It's usually somebody else who catches it, uh, whether it's friends, family, or even my counselor um, or my psychiatrist. And I'll talk about the decisions that I've made, obviously, in retrospect, and they kind of look at me a little funny because they know me reasonably well. And they'll say, uh, Peter, that's a little out of character for you. Like, why did you take your book with you to uh, the break room for three hours? Like, it's just a bunch of tables and really plastic chairs. <laughs> like, if they're not comfortable. Uh, the only real benefit in the past is when I've been manic is that I'll get a lot of ideas for articles. Um, or bits for comedy when I do stand-up or writing. Mm-hmm. I'll get the premise and I'll get the ideas uh, and I'll get the bullet points. But above that, that's usually it. I usually don't write when I'm manic or hypomanic. I can when I'm coming down. But in the moment, I have no idea if they're good or not because, uh, like I said, my decision-making is terrible. 
And it comes along with uh, extreme depression. Uh, it's kind of like being on a roller coaster uh, in sense of it's either the best day of all time or it's the worst day of all time. Uh, that's kind of the best way to explain it. Um, and I'll have depression for extremely long periods of time. Uh, people will tell me, uh, don't be sad, just be happy. And I get they're well-intentioned and just trying to help, uh, but it's a bit more layered than that. Mm -hmm. I'll, uh, I'll have feelings of worthlessness that are basically de de debilitating. Um, I also have guilt and shame uh, that are straight up suffocating. And then the hopeless sets in. And it seems to be rampant across bipolar, uh, people with bipolar that the guilt and the shame, even though most of the time it's irrational, uh, is prevalent among them. Like, for example, uh, when we lost my youngest brother uh, in a car accident, and his girlfriend, um, uh, they were high school sweethearts, and she was really part of the family. They were together for about six years or so. Uh, and then uh, a few weeks later, uh, my dad, we found out that he had stage four cancer that sent me into a tailspin. Uh, I was probably depressed for a well over a year to a year and a half, I'm the best way that I can remember it. And even though my dad was cured and went to in remission roughly eight or nine months later, uh, I never really got happy uh, or was relieved. Uh, mm -hmm. We had a celebrate celebratory dinner when we got done seeing his uh, oncologist and I was just kind of there, <laughs> uh, like the sadness and the guilt just kind of stayed there. And it also manifests, manifests it ways in other ways. I'll start arguments and fights with people. Uh, if my depression, like if I don't know that I'm depressed and it'll be over stuff that I'll actually agree with, with the other person I'm talking to, which makes no sense <laughs> whatsoever. But if I'm not, if I don't know that I'm depressed, uh, that's one of the ways that it'll manifest itself. Uh, and I'll be somewhat disrespectful and rude to other people as well. And like I mentioned earlier, people say, you know, uh, hey, you know, why don't you just be happy? It's a beautiful day. But, uh, and it's more because of the shame and guilt that typically revolves around people with that have bipolar. Uh, it's almost that I don't deserve to be happy in a sense. I have, uh, looking back, a lot of regrets while being manic, and my doctors and therapists have begged me not to not to feel that way, uh, because they they tell me they said you were sick, uh, that wasn't you, you know that you know that was that was just a symptom of you being manic or being hypomanic, and the the feeling of worthlessness creeps into my self confidence levels, um, which is only ironic because. Uh, a couple of days prior, um, uh, I usually have a sense of confidence <laughs> when I'm hypomanic. Mm -hmm. uh, my depression usually, when I when I have been hypomanic or manic, uh, which isn't very often, uh, it's uh, it it only happens one in four times uh, versus one versus the other uh, for people that are. Uh, uh, just regular manic that's bipolar one but for bipolar two it's the the separation it's a lot more extreme it's been estimated like one in 40 
uh, times, um, but uh, being uh, having mania versus depression, and that's bipolar too. Mm-hmm. But because it uh, because I have paranoia and creeps in my psychosis, I'm bipolar one. So yeah, that's that's in a in a really really roundabout way. Uh, that's what uh, um, bipolar. That's the experiences I've had bipolar. Uh, I've gone to group therapies and things like that, and uh, but that's most of the other things like I can't really relate to. But that's basically the how I've how I I've experienced uh, bipolar, and that's both extremes, obviously. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. That's uh, I think it's really important to talk openly about what we go through, and just thank you for you know, being really open. Um, I really appreciate it. Obviously, this really deeply impacts how you, you know, how you walk through the world. So I'm curious, you know, what kinds of things you do to, um, you know, deal with this, you you know, navigate your daily life when you're dealing with so much. I basically have to work out every day. And, and I also see my counselor once a week. Uh, I kind of view it as physical therapy and mental emotional therapy. It's just, something I have to do. Uh, I had to have surgery on one of my knees. Uh, but it, at the time, you know, I had to have physical therapy and it, it was required. And that's kind of the way I view what I, one of the things I need to do to stay on top of things. People think I like working out or going to my counselor, but the only reason I do it so much is to try and uh, curb the depression or curb the manic episode that may or may not be happening in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> every scientific study that has been referenced by my doctor I've looked up uh, says that working out helps with depression and mania, uh, which really actually bums me out because uh, I wish it was like pizza pockets, <laughs> basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I've actually told my doctor, uh, one of them back in northwestern Montana, I said, I'll fund a study to figure out if eating 10 pizza pockets a day does the same thing. Like, I have no problem doing that. Um, <laughs> but uh, he didn't really seem to be growling to my cause. And so, yeah, that uh, not only did I figure out quickly that it didn't help, but he wouldn't even <laughs> basically entertain the idea. Um, oh, that's not fun. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll be I'll be the case study. Like you know, I'm all <laughs> I'm on board. And uh, counseling uh, helps me decompress and deconstruct the previous week. I can overthink things, and quickly it can turn into a depressive episode in the sense that. You know, if I didn't get a phone call back for a job uh, quickly, or if I didn't get an email back within a day or two, it uh, it quickly descends into, well, obviously they didn't want to talk to me at all. My most recent job, they weren't able to get back to me for a week and a half. And my therapist at the time said, what if they're out of the office? What if they're on vacation? Uh, that's a little extreme just to give up quickly. I typically only see my doctor every once, every couple of months. Uh, it's essentially transactional and they're really quick appointments. Um, but my doctor works with my psychiatrist to calibrate my medication and I have to pay attention to how I respond to things. Um, I'm a real extrovert and on average, I feel better when I'm in a crowd mm-hmm. and, uh, people around me is typically a good thing. More sunshine, more, uh, and warmer days, uh, typically drive people outside and it's definitely a plus for me when I'm out. I have to see how they respond to me uh, and how I respond to people. 
uh, if I don't engage with them with like a, a, a conversation or a little bit of banter, I'm really not doing well. The longer I talk to them or the more I make them smile, it tells me on some level how I'm doing. Uh, not to say that people are scientific experiments, experiments with me, but uh, it just helps me basically get a roundabout idea of how I'm doing that day, that week, that type of thing. I also make sure I stay up, stay up to date with my friends. I'm really actually quick on social media uh, because it, it uh, descends really quickly for me, but I'll message my friends and send snaps to them uh, uh, two, three, four times a day. One of the things that actually helps, uh, in my experience anyway, is that I'll watch comedies when I'm depressed. And uh, it demands that I laugh and smile, even though um, I know I'm getting depressed or I am depressed, just to help out with that. I'm rarely not listening to music, uh, hence the headphones <laughs> that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and the main reason for this, uh, besides, is that I'm a huge music fan and Friday at midnight <laughs> when new albums come out is basically like a birthday for me. It drowns out the, the, the coming negative voices in my head that I may or may not be feeling. Um, one of my favorite lines in a song is, I'm not sure I believe anything I feel. And that really resonates with me because uh, it'll divert my attention. Uh, and uh, when I'm alone, I'm never silent. Um, I even dance with my dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he really, really likes Black Parade. Uh, by a chemical romance um he's a bit of a throwback um, which <laughs> that's amazing cracks me up yeah um, um a big thing actually is a stable life a stable home life uh no arguing no yelling uh semi-quiet that kind of thing uh and the thing of it is is that when stuff happens to me uh when that kind of, it doesn't happen in real time uh i'll feel okay after getting into it or but or not getting enough sleep uh that's another thing that helps um it, it doesn't happen in real time if i'm getting manic or hypomanic uh it happens roughly a week or two later and so i need to stay on top of that um mm -hmm. which can be a little rough sometimes because um i'm a creative type <laughs> and i mean if i get an idea about an article about a bit whatever i'll feel as though i have to get it out quickly so yeah, those are some of the things, uh, well, a lot of things I should say that help me navigate or curb possible depression and mania that may happen in the future. Well, that's a, you have a huge arsenal of tools. It sounds like you make a, use of a lot of stuff, which is awesome. Let's kind of get into the, uh, the meat of the story you want to tell us. So you told me that at one point you were kind of in a really difficult work situation, um, but you managed to get yourself out of it. And a lot of what helped was a passage from Deathly Hallows. Um, can you talk about emotionally, mentally, um, whatever you want to share? How were you during this time? What was kind of what was going on? I went through a really bad situation at work uh, and I quasi blamed myself 
about it and that definitely factored in but it was a complete accident everybody around me was you know really uh, really helpful saying don't worry about it you know like it's it happens to everybody that type of thing um and i actually lose weight when i'm stressed out i uh i lost around 10 pounds in just about four days and uh only a couple things sounded fun to me uh really uh I love sports and reading, uh, like I mentioned earlier, and um, I didn't like either uh, at all. Um, something as simple as turning on a game, you know, at 10 o'clock at night when there's nothing else to do, it didn't interest me at all. Um, I just kind of sat there and existed. Uh, and uh, uh, I adore, uh, I have uh, one niece and three nephews, and uh, They've actually learned how to video conference with me. Um, and it's always a highlight of my day because it's <laughs> that'll basically when my when my brother or my sister-in-law put their phone down for just a second, they've learned how to do that and they'll uh, they'll click on my avatar basically. <laughs> and um, one's four and other one's two, and both of them have figured out how to do it. And it would take all my power and energy energy basically just to stay engaged i mean just as an example uh, from the harry potter universe it really did feel on some level anyway uh like a dementor's kiss uh how lupin says to harry that it's possibly to exist without your soul and that's a really great way to describe how i felt so yeah that's that's basically how i felt at that situation in the middle of it anyway yeah, that's tough. I know you said that you uh, were seeing a psychiatrist, doctor, going to counseling during this. Can you just talk a little bit about what you were doing to sort of counteract this really difficult emotional place? Like I said earlier, on average, I only see my doctor every few months, my psychiatrist every six months, but uh, I was actually seeing my doctor once a week. I knew that I wasn't doing well. I knew I was snapping at people. Uh, and so I was actually seeing my doctor once a week and I was seeing my therapist uh, twice a week. I made myself work out every day, uh, at least after the first week or two. So I was doing all the right things and I was doing them somewhat regularly, but I still felt the same. I was getting calibrated for my medication uh, once a week. Uh, my doctor was asking, you know, how are you doing versus this week uh, versus last week or last month versus this month. And uh, I felt as though I was moving in the right direction or at least on some level falling forward, uh, but it didn't it didn't work and it wasn't working for me. That's frustrating. Uh, going through all that work and not seeing progress must have been really difficult. Yeah, it really wasn't easy. And like you mentioned, it really was frustrating uh, in the sense that um, my, uh, my therapist and my doctor were, you know, asking me to, you know, take moments in my life to just be basically, uh, mm -hmm. in the sense of like, you know, seeing a sunset or, uh, what I uh, typically refer to as a lollipops of life, just, you know, uh, go out and grab a burrito and just, instead of being, you know, in, uh, on your way to something and, you know, actually enjoy, uh, the taco or the burrito, like, don't just put it in the back of your head as, you know, I have to get somewhere quickly. 
um, be in the moment and, uh, you know, just enjoy what is happening right now. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely nothing was helping at the time. So that's, uh, that's rough. And I'm really sorry. I know how that feels. But at some point, you read the passage from Deathly Hallows that helped you. So in chapter 13 of Deathly Hallows, you sent me the passage and it says, fight it, he told himself, but he knew that he could not conjure a Patronus here without revealing himself instantly. So he moved forward as silently as he could, and with every step he took, numbness seemed to steal over his brain, but he forced himself to think of Hermione and Ron, who needed him. And this is a extremely inspiring passage just on its own, but I want to know um, your context. So what did this passage teach you? Uh, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, I'm really basic. I'm really late to the Harry Potter party. Um, I was still, um, I had a three month internship and uh, I was actually still reading the books when I got the original internship. Oh, wow. Yeah, sorry, boss. <laughs> like they didn't know that. Um, um, and uh, one morning in early November, because uh, everything happened in late September uh, ish, um, I uh, I had a conversation with somebody, and I could tell that something was wrong. Um, and I asked about it, uh, but the reply I got was from my friend: "Is uh, uh, this is a happy phone call?" we will only talk about happy things um, and we're only going to focus on uh, the happy. Um, wow. And yeah, in that instance, I learned the power of focus. Looking back, I definitely was focusing on a problem and how to treat it instead of how to move on from the problem and using the things that I love to be happy despite it. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, uh, and I mentioned earlier, I touched on it, is that I was doing all the right things, uh, essentially going through the motions, but my head uh, wasn't in the right place. Now I'm not, <laughs> by no means am I saying, don't take your medication or don't go to your counselor <laughs> or your doctor. Right. But I think I learned the lesson at the right time. Um, uh, I'm not sure if the focus basically would have helped if I was going to my therapist or my doctor um, or even working out. And I have no doubt, I really don't have a doubt in my mind that the, my counselor was trying to basically beat that in my brain <laughs> every single time I saw her. But that day, it really resonated with me. They did it effortlessly without being, you know, soapboxy or preachy. It was just, it was just a, a really quick line that, you know what, we're not going to focus on the negative. We're just going to move on to the positive. And the thing is, is I love being a big brother. I still maintain that I'm, I'm the oldest of three boys because up until I was 27, 28, 29, something along those lines. I, it really was. I love being the protector of my friends and I love helping people out. It could be something as small as bringing like an extra cell phone battery um, when I'm out with one of my friends as they always forget to charge it or sending back and forth memes to a, per a friend because he's had a terrible week and he can't even bear the thought of one more person uh, asking how he's doing because they should know on some level that he's not doing well and he just you know, just kind of wants to hang out. A few weeks after I had that conversation, uh, I was finishing up with the Deathly Hallows. Uh, and I was read a passage and uh, that passage and it basically uh, broke me <laughs> in a good way. But uh, I'm not a crier. 
uh, when it comes to books or movies. Um, like I mentioned earlier, all my all my favorite movies and books that I do read that are fiction uh, all have sad endings, so I really don't get attached to the characters. Um, my friends even say they have a cast iron heart. <laughs> it just doesn't <laughs> resonate with me. Um, uh, but when I wrote, when I when I read the passage, Harry, when J.K. Rowling wrote that, he was reduced to nothing but himself. Um, he didn't have the Patronus that was supposed, I mean, that was the only thing that they knew of that could actually um, defeat and make a Dementor move on from you. Uh, but he didn't have anything else besides the power of his focus and him wanting to help his friends. I, in that moment, I knew exactly how he felt uh, in terms of wanting to uh, help his friends because uh, they needed him and uh, using the power of focus. Um, and I had, I'm not afraid to say it, I had tears streaming down my face because I could definitely, in, in those three lines, um, uh, perfectly described what I was trying to learn um, in six, eight weeks and was still trying to learn uh, and still applying that to, to today. Um, uh, a couple weeks later, uh, I was at the gym uh, and I got a phone call uh, for my brother. He needed me to take care of my niece and nephews uh, because he had to go somewhere with my sister-in-law. I think my youngest nephew uh, had to go to the ER. Um, he's okay, but I think he had a, a, a small BB in his nose. <laughs> oh, goodness. He's, uh, he's okay, but, you know, obviously... Uh, I mean, that's a little disconcerting, but uh, it was late at night, 9, 10, 11 o'clock, uh, and uh, I immediately grabbed my stuff and ran over to my brother's house. I didn't change. Um, I just immediately went into, um, like, nothing else mattered type of thing. Um, and uh, when I got there, um, all the kids were asleep at, the point, uh, at that point in time. And so I grabbed a really quick shower and I just kind of hung out on the couch. My youngest nephew at the time was four. He's since turned five. My niece uh, was around nine, I believe. Yeah, she was not uh, either eight or nine. My oldest nephew is a teenager now. So, I mean, I, you know, I could feel comfortable uh, moving around the house and not necessarily worrying about them. I was, like I said, really rushed, really... Uh, frazzled with the situation, but um, at that, you know, a couple minutes later, after, you know, I could basically take stock of the situation, um, I figured out I was taking care of people and helping them out. <laughs> um, and I just sat there and got tears in my eyes because I know I was, I was close to getting better. Yeah, I just, I knew that I was helping people. And I knew that I was able to turn my focus somewhere else besides the problem. My four-year-old nephew, um, he uh, he got up and he came out to the uh, living room and asked me what's wrong. Um, and uh, I told him, I said, they're happy tears, buddy. I'm not sure he understood, um, mm -hmm. but you know, he gave me a hug and he left the room and I kind of figured he was gonna go to, you know, get this blanket or maybe a, a toy that he was obsessed with at the time. But uh, he came back with a cold plate of chicken nuggets, <laughs> actually, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure they had for dinner. Um, and he gave them to me. 
And I looked at him and smiled and just said, really, buddy, Uncle Peter's happy. Everything, everything is okay. And uh, he just looks up at me and he says, yeah, chicken nuggets make me happy too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be perfectly fair. I mean, he's not wrong. Uh, chicken nuggets are delicious. But yeah, he, he just thought that everything was fixed because, you know, he brought me some barbecue sauce and five chicken nuggets. Um, I read I read that passage every couple of days, and it just brings me to that conversation that I had with a friend and the plate of chicken nuggets um, my nephew gave me. He ate the whole thing, <laughs> <laughs> and, but I always, on average, um, get a little teary-eyed uh, because it reaffir- reaffirms my thought process to one, refocus myself, and in turn, put that energy into something else that makes me happy. That's so wonderful. That's, I love how profoundly this passage resonated with you and how it's amazing to me that such a, you know, it's such a small passage in the Harry Potter books and the scope of them, but it was so deeply personal for you and you were able to integrate it into your life so easily. Yeah, yeah, it was um, not only it was kind of like a living passage for me because Mm -hmm. I could definitely take that moment that he was feeling and understand completely where he was coming from. Uh, You know, he was in that hallway where he was, um, you know, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't conjure Perchonis because it would have shown that he was there basically. Um, and he was there to help out the people that were around him, but he knew he couldn't defeat all of them. But yeah, at that point in time, I definitely knew um, and definitely could relate to how he was doing. Definitely. And I'm curious to know how you use this advice uh, today, like how you've incorporated it into your life. If, uh, if I'm feeling a little down or depressed, or even when I'm quote unquote, escalating into mania or hypomania. Um, I don't think that there's escalating about it because of where it ends up. Um, I just think of it as just ascending, basically. Um, I'll try and take stock of whatever moment I'm in and turn it around and uh, reach out to friends and say, hey, how you doing? Do you want to talk about anything? How's your day going? That type of thing. You know, like I said, um, helping people in a in a bizarre way actually helps me so yeah but i didn't i mean i didn't know what i was doing at the time before i had done it until it was more of a, a subconscious thing i guess you could say but i had to learn it on a conscious level of what i was doing right well i'm so glad that you found that and that you found the harry potter series in general um it's just such a wonderful tool that we can use and uh I think a lot of people get that, you know, that joy and that uplifting feeling from helping others. So um, I'm just so glad that you that you have it in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It was, I kind of read that passage at the right time in the sense mm-hmm. that it was, it was bridging the two moments that I could uh, get out of it, basically, um, you know, between the two. Uh, you know, my nephew gave me chicken nuggets and, um, <laughs> and my conversation that I had earlier on. So, well, 
Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a really, really beautiful story. I think a lot of people can relate to that. So we're coming close to the end of our time. So I just want to know if you have any final words of wisdom or advice or anything else you want to share with us. Well, I'm, I'm not sure so much their words of wisdom, but it definitely took me a lot more courage to get help and see my doctor and my therapist uh, than to stay and try to do everything myself. Um, mm -hmm. I'd rather be the one taking care of everyone else than be the one taking care of, basically. Everyone that I worked with to get help um, with when I've been sick, whether it's um, both ends of the spectrum, um, has always been great in wanting to help. Um, and that definitely uh, includes my uh, my family and friends. Um, you know, uh, Dumbledore said, uh, happiness can be found even in the darkest of times, if only one re remembers to turn on the light. Um, and sometimes other people need to turn on the light for you, and that's okay. Uh, that's what support systems are for. Uh, that's what family and friends are for. And um, and nephews that want to give you chicken nuggets. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and that's definitely something I had to learn throughout the, you know, the the situation I was in. Well, that's thank you. That's it's hard to accept help, but we we need to. <laughs> uh, I think I needed to hear that a little bit today. So thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, Peter, it has been an absolute joy having you on. Thank you again for sharing with everybody. Um, yeah, of course. That was our interview with Peter. Peter, thank you so much for joining us as a guest and sharing your story with everyone. If you want to join us as a guest on Beyond the Veil, please visit our website for instructions. If you have a story you'd like to submit anonymously, you can have it read at the end of the show as a whisper. Join me next week for another conversation in the headmaster's office. Until next time, take care.